My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. to be with you once again here on Transmissions. Thanks so much for joining us. Guest this week on the show is Fletcher Tucker, who's got a new album of ritualistic folk and avant-garde sounds out now called Unlit Trail. It's recorded over the course of a couple autumn nights on the west coast of Sweden uh, near the end of a tour there that uh, Fletcher was on to support his previous record, Cold Spring, which we had a pretty revelatory talk about for Aquarium Drunkard at the time. Uh, not a podcast talk, just a uh, printed interview, but I encourage you to check that one out if you like this. Uh, Fletcher is a really interesting guy, and it was great to get into some Northern California mysticism and uh, some discussion of animism and uh, the role of, uh, I don't know, the strange times that he went through. Uh, this is one of those especially out there talks that I really enjoy having here on the podcast, so I hope you enjoy it. Without further delay, let's uh, let's head on in and uh, take a walk down Fletcher Tucker's unlit trail. Fletcher, it is so good to have you on the line. Thanks for joining us here on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. I'm happy to talk to you again, Jason. I think the last time we spoke... Um you told me an engaging story about um, drinking rainwater out of a puddle on top of a, a stony mesa. I don't know if you remember that exchange. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. I mean, I consider that moment sort of like a handful of uh, pivotal moments in my sort of like, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I would categorize it anything other than like, in my life, you know what I mean. That was one of those moments. Uh, I uh, I think I cut that from the 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 piece on Aquarium Drunkard because I wanted to make it about you. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate you remembering that. That was a real important moment to me, and it was uh was fun to speak with you about. Yeah, that. absolutely. Um, well, made an impression on me too. That's great. Well, and I, and I do. I want to speak with you about about nature and uh, animism and sacred music and all sorts of stuff. But before we get into any of that. Uh, in our emails back and forth, we've, we've talked very briefly about Star Trek and I wanted to save, uh, that for the podcast and start off with Star Trek talk for all of our many Trekkie <laughs> listeners. I don't know jumping, if there are, I don't know if there are many Trekkie listeners to be honest. Jumping right into Star Trek. That's amazing. <laughs> um, it's where, it's where, it's where we got to start. Our, our, so, so let me ask you this, yeah. uh, uh, Fletcher, what, what's your, what's your favorite Star Trek show of all of them? Oh, well, I will say that I, I, I find value uh something to enjoy and value in in all of all of them to varying degrees but i'm i'm definitely a next generation guy and uh and i want to remind listeners that there's a um skip ahead 30 seconds um button right down there at the bottom of your podcast app Do not skip ahead, guys. This is important. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a TNG guy uh, to the bone, I'd say. Yeah. How about you, Jason? What's your... Well, I guess if I had to pick one, 
it would certainly be TNG. Maybe maybe Deep Space Nine. Maybe Yeah, I, I love Deep Space Nine too. Deep Space Nine has the mystical overtones that I, I feel like are absent in a lot of the the rest of uh the you pod, the um Star Trek universe that I really appreciate. Do you, so so as a TNG guy, this is something that I have, have always like kicked around the idea of, of writing something about this, but there seems to be certainly more mystical stuff in DS9. But but TNG yeah. has like has a new age feel to me. There's something about it that makes me feel like being in a new age bookstore in like the '90s. You know what I mean? The muted yeah, it's muted colors. It's new age. Yeah. Do, do you get some of that too? Yeah, for sure. And also just like, um, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. I actually don't really know how associated this idea is with the new age. But to me, it, they feel associated just this like um, notion of like a future or futurism that's like, uh, moved beyond capitalism, moved beyond like, um, constraints of competition. I think, um, that feels pretty new age to me. And I feel like that that's most fully expressed in TNG. And, and that's like primarily what I'm at. Well, not primarily, but there's like a fundamental, that's a fundamental aspect of my interest and attraction to it. I think the the, Just like that's, the, that's, the sort of that's the positivity, baseline. the sort of idea that, that humanity might progress beyond uh, the sort of interscene squabbles that we are consumed with at this exact moment. Yeah, and just the what's like what is like what is and so this is actually super new age. Like, what is our human potential if we are no longer limited to commerce and like what and like what tying our sense of self and our potential and our the hours of our day to like producing income uh you know in the way that the characters are just free to pursue their um pursue like their callings essentially uh and that that really is sort of the way that they measure the values of their lives is that they are you know doing their doing the work that they're called to do to the, to the most, um, extraordinary degree. And that's why Starfleet is like populated by all these like miracle geniuses, you know? Um, yeah. we've unleashed human potential by eliminating, uh, the false constructs of, of, uh, competition through capitalism essentially. And the li- limitations inherent to being tied to a wage, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that has a that's yeah. a lot to do with what I enjoy about the show as well. Um, you know, I, I when we talk about you know human potential and stuff, I guess it, it's a it's a pretty natural sort of thing for me to start thinking about. You, you know, like what what are the what are the the parallels for for you know for Starfleet in in like our modern society? And uh, you you studied. Uh, you studied was was it farming or agriculture at the Esalen Institute? Is that correct? Oh yeah, yeah. I was um, Esalen Institute used to have uh, like a, a world class um, apprenticeship program in um, organic and biodynamic. Um, excuse me, um, agriculture, and I went and, and did a um, about a year long apprenticeship program there, and. Uh, and then I lived there for two years on, on site and was one of the farmers there. Um, 
and yeah, yeah, as you as you rightly associated, it's it's been known at least in the past as like the center for the human potential movement is how they've kind of branded it. The agricultural program is a little bit separate from everything else uh, related to the institute, but um, but yeah, I was still uh, in the soup, <laughs> literally and figuratively, at, like at the hot springs, um, and then then just in like kind of the the ontological uh potpourri of the place yeah when, when were you when were you there what, what were the years um, um 2010 to 2012 i lived there I, th- I think that's right yeah what was that like you know what what inspired your decision to 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 go there um were you at that point already fairly well sort of immersed in the world of California counterculture history and all that stuff? Or was this sort of like maybe say part of the catalyst in terms of, uh, you know, turning your, your attention in that, in that direction? Oh, well, I was really, I was really immersed in, um, the works of Alan Watts and Gary Snyder. Um, Gary Snyder's not really associated with Esalen, but Alan Watts is. There's a building named after him there. If, if you listen to any of his lectures, uh, record re- recorded lectures online, it's like a very likely they're recorded at the Esalen Institute um, in the 70s. And uh, so I was fully kind of immersed in that, and I was listening to a lot of those uh, while I was living in San Francisco for a few years. And so it was kind of on my radar from that. It was always like a bit of a blank spot um, on the map for me for Big Sur, um, even though I'd spent a lot of my childhood roaming around Big Sur. Um, but it's um, you know it's it's close to the public unless you're doing a program there. So I, I had never been there. Um, but really, like what was going on is um, I was living in a in San Francisco. I was living in a city, and I was pretty much spending like most of my time just sitting in a park, um, like reading, uh, reading Gary Snyder's work, reading works about Taoism and Zen and, and Alan Watts and a few other kind of thinkers from that time who talk a lot about, um, sense of place and belonging to place. And, um, it just stoked this really profound longing in me, like a really deep existential longing for that sense of belonging to place. And I just kind of spent a lot of time dwelling on it, meditating on it, and honestly, like fretting over it and feeling a lot of anxiety, like, God, is there a place for me? Like, can I feel like, is it potential? Is there a potential for me to really feel this? Or is this like, just like a longing I'm going to have in my whole life? Um, and then, um, uh, my wife who, uh, was, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she, she decided she needed like a radical change in, in her life and, and, um, pick like just very quickly quit her job and applied for the apprenticeship, the organic agriculture apprenticeship down here and just like moved out of the city and was down here, uh, in Big Sur. So. Um, I just kind of followed after her thinking like, great, like I always thought this was going to be my job was to get you out of this city. (laughs) And in fact, (laughs) I I got to just kind of coast along 
um, behind her and, and uh, you know, start hanging out on here. And then as soon as like another cycle picked up, I applied for the same apprenticeship and got it. And, um, and then we were living at Esalen, working on the, on the land together and, and beginning this um, really apprenticeship with the place, really. I mean, it's an organic agricultural apprenticeship, but we, we expanded it out so that in our own way of seeking out teachers and literatures and then also like the liter- literature of the, of the land herself and, um, and began this, this work together um, of of like um rooting deeply and drinking deeply from from the from the land and and trying to um uncover what our our role of um like service could be to the to the kind of greater um greater energies of the place as well um yeah so i think i kind of landed on an answer there to what you were asking no absolutely circled around a bit yeah you, when we last spoke, um, we we spoke about your your record Cold Spring, um, which was recorded yeah. in Big Sur and and uh, sort of like the the I, I don't want to use the term end end result, but the you know it was the result <laughs> of uh, recordings you had made for for a couple of years. I think was it four years or so you spent working on that record. Yeah, yeah, I think I spent seven years kind of conceiving of it and sort of gathering songs and sounds up and inside internally and and then four of those years were were like pretty dedicated recording like pretty much every night um almost for four years yeah when we spoke you had actually uh you and your wife had had basically been forced to leave Big Sur, I think, due to uh, some mudslides uh, as a result of, uh, I think, as a result of, of, of fire damage. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> yeah. What was your what was your guys' journey away from Big Sur like in, in the years since we've hooked up and talked? Uh, I know you're back there now after some travels, right? Yep. Yeah, I think it was about a three-year absence, um, which may not sound long to some people. To me, it felt <laughs> interminable at times. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we're back up. We're back here. We're in a different different location, way up on top of a mountain, um, up on a beautiful old um, one of the older homesteads uh, up here established. Um, in um 1910 um um but uh yeah we uh, what was our journey like we were we did a lot of kind of roaming around it was semi-nomadic um kind of checking out different places and trying to figure out what was going to work for us um if there was another place that we could root in and and also just um taking a little break from some of the challenges of living here, you mentioned those mudslides and fires and stuff like that. And that is, um, that was a particularly large year, um, where we had a huge, well, the road was knocked out to the South for many months and a landslide was so big that it knocked a, knocked out a bridge. So we were like fully isolated down here, um, for, for several months. Um, 
But in any case, you know, it's a beautiful place to live, but there are lots of challenges to living here. I mean, it's like a three hour drive round trip for me to go to a grocery store, for example. Um, so we were kind of like, maybe we want to live in a town. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and have like, have like internet that works well. And, uh, and like, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't have that ingredient for the like dinner I was hoping to make. I'm going to just pop out to the market and, and just buy that one thing, you know, rather than like buying three weeks worth of groceries all in one pop, which is what we, we do down here. And, um, on top of, you know, all this kind of roaming, exploring, attempting to resettle and still feeling really disconnected and from this place that I feel really nourished by and, um, woven into, um, I was also going through some rites of passage and big life changes, um, my daughter, or our, our daughter was born um, on the summer solstice in 2019. And she um, really came into this world like just like every other person um, in prehistory. Essentially, my wife had like a, a very um, primordial birth story that's essentially like wouldn't be distinguishable in any significant way from like a birth that would have happened 50,000 years ago and that it was like unmedicated and, and, um, basically with no medical intervention or assistance. And part of that was by design and part of that was just by the circumstance of, of, um, our daughter coming into this world really fast. Um, and so, yeah, that was really brutal and exquisite and beautiful and mystical um, and just totally life um, changing uh, in, in a myriad ways, just too many ways to unpack um, unless we're going to do a podcast just about that. But um, and then just three months later, uh, and the equinox, um, my father-in-law, my wife's father, he died, um, pretty, um, quickly, uh, he very quickly became sick and, um, and passed away. Um, so yeah, so in just the span of a season, I was in the room with my wife, um, as our baby came into this world and in the room with, um, her father as, as he left this world, you know, um, and so we were really basically just swirling in those big tides of birth and death, um, for a while, um, after that maybe still are to some degree. I don't know how much any of those, those types of experiences, they don't really leave you at any point. Um, Um, but, um, after the dust kind of settled, um, we decided, uh, to move, move up north, um, to be near my, um, folks, um, so we could have a little help, um, with our new baby, um, getting kind of, try to get settled into what it was like to be parents, um, 
um, yeah, with the, with a little, little familial assistance. Um, so, but, uh, we moved to like a very pretty suburban area, um, into an apartment, um, which, um, was really weird, um, for me. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, gradually like a, essentially like a deep kind of loneliness or existential pain began to settle in or wash over me, um, just from this sense of being isolated from a greater community of beings or, or the more than human world. Um, it was, uh, intolerable, um, for me to be in that made, uh, that completely made environment, um, the human made environment. Um, and really I felt like I was starting to lose my shadow or, um, lose my, um, my true self. Um, so, um, so we, we felt like it, it was, it was time to come home, um, and deal with the challenges of, of, uh, living here in Big Sur and, and being new parents, um, all on our own. But this, this beautiful opportunity came up to, to move to this land. It happens to also be the, uh, a, a, a homestead, um, established by my favorite Big Sur artist of all time. Um, his like and his original homes that he built are on it, and some of the fruit trees is, he planted. And who is that? His name is Jaime D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, are you familiar with his work? Uh, I am. I am a little bit. Uh, mostly introduced to him through your conversation with Eric Davis on the Expanding Mind podcast oh, cool. a couple years back. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a, been like a North Star for me. I mean, like all figures from the past, there's some deeply problematic things about his his like behaviors and writings and things like that. But but I, I do think he had a really exquisite relationship with the place and um, and also with like the deeper cultures of California as a ethnolinguist and ethnographer traveling around California, um, working with indigenous people to document their languages and culture, um, at the beginning of the 20th century. And, um, anyway, yeah, we're, we're, we're up here on, on his land and I'm looking at a hundred year old avocado tree right now that he planted from a pit. Um, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. It feels good. It feels nice to be okay. at least a, like a partial custodian of his, um, his legacy. You talked about that relationship to the land and his sort of connection to the place. And, and I know that, uh, you know, Cold Spring was a record where you were deeply examining the idea of place and your, and your sort of, uh, you know, where you are situated in it and all that. Mm-hmm. But, but your new record, Unlit Trail, uh, it's a little bit maybe less connected to a single place, right? Um, yeah. How did that, you know, uh, it, uh, when you started working on this one, um, was your was your sort of head in a different sort of zone in terms of where, I mean, were you conceiving of this record while you were sort of, uh, 
I don't want to use the term in exile because that makes <laughs> it sound so much more uh, dramatic. But at the I same like time, it. I like it. That's... I get the yeah, I get the <laughs> sense that maybe that's how it felt to you a little bit. In a lot um, of in a lot of ways, it did. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it did. yeah. Does 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 this feel tied to that maybe sense of like you know wandering and a little less rootedness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm glad you picked up on that, and it's a astute question um, and perception. So thank you for that. Um, it did it did emerge. Uh, it emerged during some some kind of a, the more nomadic phase, and then it also. It came about, uh, the work came about in response to touring or, or preparing to tour, which is, you know, fundamentally nomadic. Um, right, right. right. Um, and I think there's something like really interesting and beautiful about like sharing with people or the attempting to sort of like scoop up some of that coffin dirt or something from from where you live. Um, and, uh, I don't know if that, that's a Nosferatu reference, if that, if that was a flyby <laughs> for anybody, but, um, uh, but just kind of like, you know, scoop up some of the essence of, of, of a place that, that you are deeply rooted to, or that I'm deeply rooted to and, and express that into the world, which is, you know, what I was doing with the record. Um, but there, there seems to be something kind of, um, something sort of odd about trying to do that in live performance, um, in a different place. I think, I think that there is like a seed of, of like my connection with this land in, in the music that became on the trail and, and was the live performance. But what I was really trying to do was tap into the spirit of the place or like the essential essence or the, the small gods or the banished spirits or the, you know, the, the wild, uh, dignity of, of wherever I was and become a bridge for that and allow that to, to move through me. Um, so I really was hoping to create something that, uh, was a kind of like a roaming ceremony or like an, or like an open-ended ceremony in terms of its, it's, uh, it's rootedness. Um, and then hopefully I would send a, you know, send some roots down wherever I was and, uh, and, and something would express. And the, the piece that I was performing is like partially improvised and partially written and, you know, my own psycho spiritual processes that I go through in order to open myself up to the, to the land, um, that I happen to be on. So, yeah, so then, um, so that's where, like, the, the piece or the suite that is on the trail, which is really just one piece that's broken up into seven different movements, that's where that came from. And then uh, the recording is, is, is a product of that. It was recorded at the end of uh, a several-week tour um, of Europe, Northern Europe, in October and November 2018. And, um, and then in, in this case, like kind of gathering up some of the kind of collective, uh, experiences of performing that every night for a few weeks, performing the piece every night in different places and really trying to connect in to the place where it was recorded, uh, 
which was in northwestern Sweden in a friend's cabin up there. Um, when when you were there and you were working on this record, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about connection to specific places and and even sort of like the idea of bringing maybe a little bit of Big Sur with you. Yeah. Um, I think we probably all do that more than we would even ever be consciously aware of, you know? Yeah, sometimes, the it, of like, sometimes there's just a, a stink of a place on somebody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But go on, yeah. Coming from, <clears throat> yeah, coming from Arizona, I have to imagine that people have said something along the lines about me at one point, you know, like, that guy smells like Arizona, yeah. Uh, yeah, spiritually yeah. or whatever. But I, yeah, the stink doesn't necessarily, uh, I, sound, I guess that sounds pejorative, but I, I didn't really no, mean I know, it that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, uh, maybe a pleasant funk. Let's yeah, put yeah, it that yeah. Way. A uh, fecund, <laughs> a fecund uh, odor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, but so so there you you find yourself in Sweden and and you're touring and you're, you're living. You know, like you said, touring is is a really nomadic experience. It's sort of a there's some. Anytime I travel, that's what I love about traveling is the feeling of, you know, m- of movement of yeah. like I have to go to the next place next. Yeah, and that's like a real. Uh, that can be a very motivating feeling. It can be a little bit intoxicating too, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's deeply human, right, Jason? I yeah. mean, we're a nomadic species, you know? I mean, that's, yeah. we're a migratory yeah. species. Um, we I, experience stages of rootedness and, and phases of, of migration. That's like the story going all the way back into the time before time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, but but I think you know about about unlit trail. You know you you sort of um, in the preface of the liner notes, I've got a quote here. You say this is a record of ritual and an invitation to enter a ritual domain. Uh, I wondered if you could explain to me what a ritual domain might be. Um, I mean, I it could mean different things to different people, of course. Um, to me, it simply means. Uh, in its most simple way, it would just be stepping outside of ordinary consciousness into into a non-ordinary state where there's more potential or expanded potential to like perceive the numinous or things that are subtle, subtly beyond our perception um, as we move through everyday life. Um, could be just emotional or um, actually engage our senses or could be something more, you know, rooted in the, in the mind or beyond the mind. Um, Does that make sense or is that too vague? No, I think, I think that makes sense. I think about, it's easy to, um, to imagine uh, say for a musician, you know, music being a ritual process in and of itself. It is especially, for me. Especially if you're touring, right? Yeah. You know, there's, it's like the setting up of the stuff is a ritual. Yeah, totally. The show itself is a ritual. Totally. The teardown is a ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you attend to it, if you, the ritual, ritual is not, uh, does not um, create itself. It needs to be attended to, you know. It, it requires a mind, it requires a, a elite, at the very least, a state of mind and, uh, and a conscious decision, right? Um, yeah. But yeah. for sure, yeah, yeah. I try to, in my, when I'm at my best, I feel like that that's, that is what is happening. Um, 
sometimes less in the tour down tear i mean the tear down of the stage sure sure um but but not always sometimes it's really important especially if i've really like gotten into it and and gone somewhere during the performance you know sometimes that little bit of time alone up on the stage with my instruments which i you know regard as ritual objects or ritual companions are uh, is is important to have a little quiet an- solo time to just say thank thank you for doing this with me you know well yeah that's another thing that's in the liner notes that i just found myself really drawn to and sort of turned on by the idea that that you know that you you do view these uh you know, through your, maybe your conception of animism, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you do sort of view these instruments as. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to pick the wrong phrase. It's so okay. if I do, just say that's the wrong phrase. Thing. Go ahead. <laughs> I would. I would say what something like maybe like autonomous sort of companions or. Yeah. or I mean. Do, I mean. You know. And and I wonder. That's that's something that. You know, lots of people. Uh, have a name for their guitar or whatever. Yeah, you know? that's true. So it's not, <laughs> it's not the farthest out thing in the no. world to imagine these things as as something. But you know, somebody like David Lynch. If you ever listen to David Lynch talk about wood, he he has this just like deep respect for the idea of what the thing is you know Mm -hmm. uh yeah if it's a chair if it's maybe let's say it's a guitar let's say it's a speaker cabinet i don't know but the idea that this literally came out of the ground at one point you know and is the result of millions and millions of years of of processes that that um i guess on a on a sort of I, I don't know that we necessarily uh, often as a, as, as a culture really uh, foreground our language in that sort of, mm. you know, deep understanding of where a thing comes from. And I yeah. think that we're pretty disconnected. I'm, di- I shouldn't say we, I'm trying to quit using we in 2021. That's uh, good. Fletcher. I'm trying, I'm trying to say I, because I, I can't like speak for other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and speaking of language, that's a big issue in our culture. So I've noticed. Well, yeah. yeah, and I think it's root. It's rooted in the desire to be inclusive in a weird way. I want to say we because I don't think I'm on my own, you know. Right, but right, at the right, same right. time, at the same time, yeah, that's where I'm coming at. But I certainly don't think, yeah, this desk came from somewhere, you know, or this whatever. But but I, but I'm curious about your relationship to your to your instruments and 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 less. I, I, I'm less interested in asking you to define what that relationship is mm-hmm. um, and more interested in maybe asking what is it about cultivating and, and having that sort of intentional relationship with the objects in, in that way where you are trying to take in their uh, their sort of mm-hmm. long history and their long mm-hmm. existence. Uh, you know, what is cultivating that kind of relationship do for you that helps you connect deeper to mm. to the music that you're making and to the mm. the the performance or the the ritual you know act of of singing songs and 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 playing music for people <clears throat> um well there's a lot to what you just said that i would love to like riff on for for you know days <laughs> with you jason i mean that was a great that was a great yeah as a fascinating um uh thought uh stream that you just went through with like many very cool little eddies to to talk about um 
Uh, but um, <laughs> I'll try to kind of address some of it. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm that's a, that's that's my other 2021 thing is I'm trying to break down my my, my giant no, no, no. monument uh, questions that, into more oh, answer. I meant that only questions. in the most uh, most uh, positive and admirational sense. I just was I just was really enjoying listening to you oh, to talk you, about Fletcher. that. Um, especially thinking about David Lynch. <laughs> I didn't know that about David Lynch, but I'm not surprised at all because he's. Um, he spent his life uh, like uh, cultivating awareness, right? That's really his like passion. Yeah. Um, and if yeah. we are, yeah, that guy loves wood. He's a big fan hey, of wood. Hey, that makes sense. I mean, uh, like, who could look at a tree and not just be like, you know, struck dumb with reverence? I mean, only only the most numb look amongst us. Yeah, hundred percent. My bedroom window right now at a you know, 250-year-old ponderosa pine and another, like, two, 300-year-old redwood. And it's just uh, it's just remarkable to think about, like, the, the lifespan of, of a being like that. And then, and then for them to, you know, then be turned into these, these things that, that surround us and, like you say so rightly, are just barely regarded, if at all. Um, and, uh, and... And I would just like also to say, Jason, that like, uh, you know, you, you said we and then you switched to I, but, you know, um, I just feel like it's important to say like, well, it's, it's not your fault uh, that you aren't um, always in this constant state of, of reverence and um, acknowledgement of like the, the significance or wondrous nature of, of all the, of these uh of these so-called things around you it's you know that's just a byproduct of the culture that that we the dominant culture that we all inherited um so i i just feel like for you specifically and for anyone listening it's just always important i think to remind yourself like to be gentle with yourself and say like I mean, we're, we're, we're i know personally i'm really working against the stream here i'm really working uphill to to cultivate these these senses of, of presence and aliveness and connection that I wasn't handed them by by our broken pseudo culture by any means um, you know just like David Lynch has spent his entire life um, on this but uh, I guess let me try and like connect uh, kind of with the end end of that thought stream which was uh, which was about um, was about my individual relationship with my instruments and and how that might affect my music. Is that is that what you were saying specifically? Yeah, that's a per, that's a per, that's a perfect summation. Right. So I kind of alluded uh, a little bit earlier to something about my relationship with my instruments when I referred to them as my um, ritual companions, um, and. Uh, when I contextualize them that way, I'm, I'm essentially kind of referring back to the original function or role of music um, in human culture, which is like essentially uh, to help facilitate um, ritual uh, or ceremonial states. Um, and there's... Um, there's pretty common um, belief around the world in, in place-based cultures um, 
that uh, objects and instruments uh, of ritual use are, um, you know, uh, regarded to have their own agency or, or qualities of agency and awareness. Um, uh, because essentially, you know, uh, a, a ceremony or, or a ritual cannot be conducted without them. It's, it's like a, a partnership between the, the people involved and the different, you know, objects and instruments that are necessary to bring on altered states or higher states of consciousness or, or just, um, or to create the container necessary for whatever kind of work is is being done there um you know and this is a, a belief that was held by my pre-christian nordic and celtic ancestors and you know still is maintained by people that have intact um you know earth reverent cultures around the world um but so you know i i hold that um that belief in that regard um, for my instruments, or at least I try to. Um, and then I've also been kind of working for a while to just become more and more aware of my own sense of affinity or intuition when it comes to bringing, um, instruments into my life or establishing relationships with instruments. Um, and I found that it's pretty, uh, I find myself really attracted to um instruments that also are in alignment with some of my ancestral lineage um which i talk about um in the liner notes for on the trail um because uh the uh, a handful of the instruments that i'm playing on that record are um are really woven in you know to my the personal story of my of my um, ancestry um you know like i have a um a pump organ or a melodeon that's like a hundred years old and that was made out of Finnish um, birch and, uh, built in, in um, England. And, you know, I have Finnish ancestry and British ancestry. And so um, there's something about the fact that, that this instrument and, my, and I, myself and my body are literally made out of the same material or material the same origins that allows me to like really establish um, a deep relationship um, um, a deep working relationship with the with this uh, with this organ um, so maybe that's like a little bit about my way of relating to my instruments and or maybe that's a, a lot about relating to my instruments I, I don't know does that make sense yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes sense. Is there a way that you feel like you can sort of, uh, take that view of, of instruments when you encounter n new instruments? Is that part of what you're talking about as well? I mentioned it in the liner notes. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, there's just so many instruments in the world that I, I think it's pretty, for me, it's pretty important that I like spend time with instruments that like have like a resonant quality of of um connection and aliveness to me with me so um because like you you could pick up any guitar and play a song you know um but 
but there's no reason to be so careless about it or thoughtless about it. So I've, I've made a, I've, I've, over the years I've been kind of collecting instruments that, that I feel this strong resonance with and, and happen to be also connected in with some of my ancestral lineage. Like my, my guitar is, is a Krefton guitar. It's made in, made on the West coast of Sweden in the fifties or sixties. And so that's, um, you know, I have a, the bulk of my um, ancestry comes from that area, the majority of my ancestry. Um, and so, you know, some of what's happening is just happening in my mind as I, I look at the guitar and I think, okay, like this, this guitar and I, we, we, we come from the same place. And then, um, and then that creates, um, it creates like an, an affinity and a potential for, for uh, like establishing a relationship that goes beyond sort of like this instrument just being like a tool or a vehicle for my one-sided expression right like we can work together um to to see what happens and and there's something about like something about having this story this deeper story and this deeper level of of um connection that just allows for me to like let let go of um let go a little bit of like goal oriented thinking or like product oriented thinking and just engage with with these um perhaps perhaps semi-sentient um so-called objects you know that um that uh, we can just uh we can just have a relationship and an experience together and perhaps there's something that emerges from that that is interesting or useful to other people but it's not necessarily the goal like uh, we you know um when you're playing a song and um the optimal thing happens the the hope that you have for what that song will will be and and how it's going to work and and you and the instrument sort of in conjunction with each other yeah and i'm attending to it and i believe that like by attending to it like there's the potential for something to emerge that is like useful and could be useful to others or interesting to others and would be like greater than like my own just like ideas or something you know what i mean just stuff i've concocted in my brain like um like oh okay i think i'll write a song in d minor and it will uh start you know this end of this scale and it'll kind of wander around you know um yeah um you know is that is that a definable feeling do you know when that's happening oh yeah for sure yeah what does it feel like? Um, <clears throat> it feels, um, well, I'll start with my body. It feels kind of tingly, <laughs> feels a little like exhilarating. Um, uh, it feels a little, uh, kind of stupefying maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, uh, like kind of hypnagogic in a way if you're familiar with that term and that feeling that's when like, you're when you're not quite asleep but you're mm -hmm. but you're not in quite awake 
quite awake, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a quality of liminality to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where it's like I'm I'm a little bit in this world and I'm a little bit not in this world. I'm a little bit in the other world or or the in in the mystery. Um, yeah. How? Uh, the, it's how a good important? feeling. Have you had that feeling? <laughs> I've had that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Know, I think everybody has we get glimpses of that feeling, right? That we get like little, little sprinkles of it, even in sometimes ordinary life when we don't expect it occasionally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It can be very, very surprising. Yeah. Could just be waiting for the bus. You talked about that feeling of, of you mentioned the story I told you about being in the, uh, the the Sycamore Canyon wilderness and, and, uh, you know, drinking, yeah. Out of a little 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 eddy on a on a on a rock, you know, drinking mm-hmm. rainwater after a, a long night, a long weird mm-hmm. night of, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, me injuring myself and a bunch of other camping mishaps and all this stuff. But yeah, that that felt like that kind of moment to me. You know, well, like those a, are those are the like, parameters that I would expect, you know, to potentially bring on an experience like that. Like you're you're way outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's like there's like an element of of danger or the unknown you're you're engaging directly with like elemental beings and 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 like you know i don't like the word resources but i'll use it like the resources of the place you know directly yeah Yeah. i I, so when we talk about things like you know you, you also do reference uh you know beings in your in your in the liner notes sort of yeah. um you know m- maybe uh well i don't i don't know do, do would you feel com- would you feel comfortable uh um calling them extra human or maybe extra human like in a in a you know what 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 sense do you get of that and and when it comes to like the definition of mysterious beings, uh, mm-hmm. do, do you, do you, do you feel like we need to define them? Is that an important part of it? Or, or is there oh, like the mystery is the, is the, the mystery is the thing that we should focus on there? Well, mystery, the, I mean, really for me, mystery is all. And like, I, you know, I work, I feel like I'm a mystery worker to some degrees, some degree. Um, but, and I and I'm keenly aware of like the limitations of our language, uh, particularly the English language, and and also the pitfalls of codifying things in language that are beyond language. But I I don't mind talking about it. Um, I I um I I don't have like a lot of um, like really I don't have like a, a lot of beliefs that are like completely. Um, sort of spelled out or, or held, um, held onto, uh, or not subject to like change on a daily or hourly basis. But I do, I do have a belief very strongly that like, um, the universe overflows with consciousness, the cosmos overflows with consciousness. And that's, that's my lived experience of, of the, of this life on earth and, it's counter to the narrative of, of our dominant culture, which is that we are alone. We sit alone at the center and somehow completely separate from the entire cosmos as these weirdly sentient 
doomed to be alone sentient beings, <laughs> which is just that doesn't track at all with my experience of reality and it doesn't follow with the the belief systems or histories of people people and peoples who have actually lived fully intact lives connected with this earth and the and the greater cosmos you know yeah um, yeah which is like you know if you I, I take my when i don't have my own experiences to rely on i take my cues from people who have who know better than i do who have fuller experiences and knowledge of reality and and you know specifically i'm referring to place-based cultures from around the world that have thousands of years of of like lived experience to that they're communicating through their ontologies through their life ways and and descriptions of the world but and those all center around this this fundamental truth that that the universe is overflowing with consciousness that, you know, we, and we have our particular version of it, but trees and plants and, uh, you know, other plants and other animals, non-human animals and mushrooms and creeks and clouds and, uh, stones and mountains, these all have consciousness stars, you know, they are imbued with awareness, um, sentience of some form. Um, and so I'm regarding these beings, uh, as beings, um, yeah. Yeah. and I try to do that in my language and in my daily life and practice, although it's, it's a, it's a practice because like I say, it's not, not, um, <clears throat> not normal, not considered normal for, for, um, you know, for, for who, for how I was raised by my, my culture, um, as right. a, North yeah. America as a white North American dude, you know, um, and, uh, and then, um, and then I, I'm totally open to, uh, by the same token, um, that, you know, that there's, there's awareness and life well, well beyond my, um, my perceptual state or beyond this or, you know, connected beyond my awareness, but somehow still connected into the materiality of, of the universe, you know, and that could, yeah, could yeah. may and probably does include ancestors and, you know, uh, spirits of the land, gnomes, fairies, uh, you know, whatever words we want to use, um, which may or may not be the right words. I don't know, but, um, you I've sensed, use, I've sensed yeah, you, them, I've encountered them and, um, I, I respect them and, and I respect the people and cultures that, you know, that have done the hard work to establish relationships over millennia with, with these, uh, with these beings and these ideas and energies. Right. Right. I think that that's the sounds sort of pretty thing. far out and woo, I guess, if I say it all out loud, maybe a little bit pretentious, but I've made, I've made my peace with being perceived as a little bit pretentious. So, so I guess I'll, I'm just going to stick with that. Well, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me fixate on one word you said, which was mm -hmm. woo, you know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and I, I, I find myself drawn to a lot of very woo ideas. And then I find myself often repulsed by a lot of very woo ideas because yeah, likewise. Yeah. Cause yeah. so often <laughs> you're looking at something where it's like, um, like you, hmm, 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I almost just I almost just wandered down like an entirely cynical path, but I don't really want to <laughs> do that because I don't. Okay. <laughs> you know, so, some cynicism is certainly uh, warranted, and uh, a lot of woo culture or new age culture or esoterica or anything, it still ends up sort of <laughs> uh, by nature of imperfect people and by nature of people who are raised in a certain place practicing it or discussing it. It ends up yeah. fixating on most of the same concerns that, like, your average, you know, yeah. uh, you know, venture capitalist might be concerned. Yeah, right. With, yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. Like all this, like a abundance. All this, like I feel like I see and hear that stuff all the time. People what? always talking about cultivating abundance and stuff, and it's just like, yeah. I think you just mean like being like considered a winner in capitalism. <laughs> I think is still what you're going for. There is not really separate from, but yeah. I mean, I mean, just going back to what you said about cynicism. Jason, I, I personally feel like cynicism is like a powerful tool of discernment. It's just a, yeah. but it's just a tool. It's just a tool in your toolkit. I mean, right, and the pro- right. pro- problem I have, and I feel like we probably share this with a lot of things that are like considered woo or new age, it's just, you know, just not, it's just not necessarily engaging all the tools in your toolkit. Like you can have critical thinking and magical thinking simultaneously. Like those yes. aren't, they don't, yes. they don't you don't have to be so dualistic to think that those cancel each other out, you know? Um, That's right. Yeah, that dualism, that dualism trips us up. And I that that dualism is actually bummer, something man. that dualism was actually where I was where I was headed in terms of talking yeah. about your your music is because um, you know, uh, I, I really hope that everybody listen goes and and everybody listening goes check out Unlit Trail. It's a really cool record. Um, one of the things I wanted to know, and it's something that we talked about too when we talked about Cold Spring, was mm-hmm. that um, you know your music is deeply beautiful and it's deeply. Um, I appreciate it, that. It fe- it feels very earthy and it feels very uh, you know kind of like it 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 feels beautiful in traditional senses at times Mm -hmm. and then at other times you play with a lot of modalities that the average listener might find uh you know spooky i like Mm. spooky (laughs) stuff though and i think that i think that you know when we spoke a couple years ago um you really you really helped kind of like put me in the right frame of mind of understanding that vast unknowability is spooky uh, and if it I mean, wasn't terrifying spook- sometimes, <laughs> yeah. And, and if it wasn't, what power would it have? What, right. what of, of what, you know, how can something be so enormous and, and, and be, uh, and leave you feeling completely settled in everything, you know, except right. that sometimes it does that too. So there's, you sometimes, know, there's that, yeah. but, but, but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess where I would, where I would, maybe we could, we could kind of wrap up a little bit is, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody tells you, you know, like, man, Fletcher, I, I like this record, but it scares me, you know, mm. uh, you know, what, what might you say to a person, uh, who, who feels that way, uh, in terms of how they might sort that out if that's even correct you know (laughs) yeah that's interesting um you probably don't have to sort it out you know i guess not i mean uh i'd be pretty interested if i i'd be really interested in talking to that person if the if anybody feels that way at any point feel free to reach out um um and i also just want to say i really appreciate what you just said about i'm glad that our conversation made the impression i feel um, touch that you remembered in such specificity what 
what we talked about, about the, um, that kind of enormity, that sense of wonder and, and like horror, uh, and, or wonder and like, I don't know, disillusionment being so connected. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, I would say to somebody, uh, that, you know, consider turning toward that fear, um, and, uh, and see what, uh, see what is really waiting for you there, because that's potentially really like rich and fertile ground. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I think that some of what you're talking about, uh, this like spookiness is uh, yeah, I mean, I like, I, I really like the word uncanny. Yeah. Which I feel like, I feel like has a contains a little bit of that but without like sort of the um the kind of like cheesy halloween vibe of um spooky (laughs) uncanny's good i like arcane a lot you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i numinous is a word i use a lot um real good real good word yeah which just has that feeling of like the unexplainable that maybe is like a is is again like gonna push you a little bit beyond your comfort zone like I can't tell you what's going on right now, but I know something is going on and it's, it's well outside of my control. Um, and I would just say, you know, I mean, I, I just fundamentally believe like that that's, that's the reality of, of our, um, life here on this earth. This is like that we are in this interplay or in this dance with all these forces seen and unseen and being seen and unseen that are well outside of our control. So that kind of discomfort is, um, I mean, you could just ignore it or you, or you could turn toward it and just, and explore it. Um, and it's certainly rich creative ground. And I think it's rich psycho spiritually as well, emotionally too. Um, and, um, yeah, so, uh, and I hope the, I hope the work, I hope on the trail is, um, helpful in, in kind of stewarding people into those, um, into those slightly less comfortable, numinous realms. Um, maybe even, maybe even if played at the appropriate time or volume, kind of sort of, uh, summoning up some of those forgotten small gods of the place where you live or, or, uh, you know, maybe some, some gnomes or, or fairies will gather around behind the speaker unbeknownst to you and and get a little bit of, uh, get a little bit of that, uh, raw uncut, um, spirit energy too or something. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, really ideally, like, again, it's, it's like a, a risk of being, perceived as very um pretentious or out there but ideally it's it's not just music for the human um you know this potentially being the more than human world can enjoy the um the journey of the of the piece as well Um, yeah i certainly tried to include them you know i tried to be a bridge um uh, you know, and I just tried to make a record that, as you say, it was felt beautiful and, and, um, nice to listen to and, 
um, and potentially uh, restorative in some way in this like really, um, really uh, urgent and um, brutal time that we're living in as a, you know, on this planet. Well, Fletcher, thank you for not only making the record, but taking time to speak with me about it. And I say uh, without a shadow of a doubt that uh, we need to do another one of these uh, sure. that just uh, <laughs> picks up right where we left off. And uh, But until then, everybody can can check out Unlit Trail and uh, and the great stuff that's on your, your label, Gnome Life. And uh, man, thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, thanks a lot. You're... you're very welcome and it's an honor and a pleasure and uh i do hope we get to speak again and i just want to say well done and congratulations on the the um podcast i've listened to a bunch of it and um i think it's i think it's great and i've enjoyed your conversations and i really appreciate being uh, included in the in the bigger conversation of the, that's the whole the whole um transmissions um library so thank you oh man thanks so much going to bring us to a close this week if you enjoyed this uh podcast do us a favor and share it you can leave a rating or a review wherever you get podcasts uh you can email it to a to a pal you can uh, talk about it in a letter that you send to him uh whatever you want to do we do appreciate it and if you want to take your support a step further you can find us over on patreon so you can help us keep making these independently produced strange talks for these strange times I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. Andrew Horton edits our audio. Jonathan Mark Walls produces content for our social media channels and video outlets. Our graphic design is by Sarah Goldstein. And our executive producer and founder is Justin Gage. We'll be back next week with another strange talk for these strange times. I'm joined by author and scholar Peter Goralnik. Stay safe until then. Talk soon.